Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 1st, 2022. The big question, of course, is who runs the show inside families? Is it mothers or fathers? Is it boys or girls? Earlier today, we had an interesting uh, conversation on who runs the world uh, with my guest, Anna Maleka Tubbs, the author of Three Mothers, a book about the mothers of Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, and uh, James Baldwin, three of the greatest American African-American writers, thinkers, politicians of the 20th century, and we talked about their moms, Martin Luther King's mother, uh, Louise Little, who was Malcolm X's mother, and uh, James Baldwin's mother, perhaps the most remarkable, at least in my view, of them all. Uh, for today's uh, follow-up show, we're going to turn the tables. Rather than talking about moms, we're going to talk about fathers, and rather than talking about sons, we're going to talk about daughters. Uh, my guest is Kimberly Wolf. A Los Angeles-based writer, uh, educator. She has a new book out, Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters. Um, and uh, as I said, uh, uh, Kimberly is joining us from Los Angeles. Uh, Kimberly, I have to start with, it's probably a bit of a dumb question, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway as a father. Um was this a book for you to write as a woman? Do you have kids? I do have kids. I actually, I'm an expert in girlhood and I have two sons. Wouldn't it be more appropriate though for a, a man to write this, a father than a, than a mother? I've definitely gotten that question before. And I think what's yeah, and that's really- that's why I'm apologizing because it's- No, it's okay. If you- that one isn't. If you have that question, other people have that question, your listeners will have that question, our viewers will have that question. And I think that what is really what really sets talk with her apart is that fathers have a certain type of insight and a certain perspective, but talk with her is really about the insights of daughters and what are girls living through? What is girls lived experience? And how can fathers learn from that to better connect with their daughters? And that's not the only that's not the only silo of research in the book. There's also a lot of research about generally the impact of fathers on girls, which anybody is positioned to speak about as long as you understand the research. So it's a good question. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a dumb question at all, but that is really what sets Talk With Her apart. And that is really what it is about, is about fathers connecting with their daughters and my perspective being that one, as a daughter myself, who's very close to my father, into my adulthood, and also an expert on girlhood and what girls are going through. This issue of what girls are going through is a perennial one. We've had a number of shows about it. We had the, um, uh, the therapist Ronnie Cohen-Sandler on the show talking about raising self-reliant teenage girls in the age of the internet. She has a new book out, Anything But My Phone, Mom, Raising Emotionally Resilient Daughters in the Digital Age. Mm -hmm. Her book is more about a mother's relationship with daughters. Before we talk about fathers and daughters, um, uh, Kimberly, um, talk to me a little bit about what generalizations you think we can make about 
being an adolescent girl or a pre-adolescent girl in 2022? Oh my goodness. So this generation really is having a singular experience as we know. The rise of the influence of digital media in their lives is undeniable. They have also lived through the pandemic and a cultural happening and experience, the likes of which we haven't seen and for which we don't know what the long-term impacts will be on them. Girls today are struggling a little bit more with mental health. We know that they're feeling the pressure now more than ever because of the rise of digital media and also the pandemic. Those are two main forces that people in my field of work and parents around the world are noticing themselves but also just other different cultural happenings that are affecting girls, the increasing com competition around college admissions, the changing nature of the workforce and the working world, and what are we preparing kids for? What are we wanting them to know about the world ahead? There's some uncertainty there, right? And so those are some of the main themes I think about when I think about what are, what's important to talk with this generation of girls about. Furthermore, we're, we're talking a lot more about gender equity. How are gender roles changing? How are, what examples are we setting for girls? What type of world are we setting up for them to live in? Yeah, and that really comes to my question about fathers and girls as opposed to mothers and girls. What, uh, in your view, because you've written this book, Talk With Her, a dad's essential guide, it's not a mom's essential guide. What do dads bring to the party that perhaps moms can't or won't or shouldn't? That is a very big question. It, it encompasses pretty much everything I've written about in my book. Why are fathers so important? Now, <clears throat> I'll start by saying people ask me, why would you write a book just for dads? I mean, can't anybody learn, about, learn from a book that's about raising girls? And the truth is absolutely. So parents of all genders will come to this book and find something that they can relate to, regardless also of if they have boys or girls as children. This book is about fathers and daughters because there is a very specific role and that men can play. We know that having a present, loving, authoritative, firm but warm, not to be not to be confused with authoritarian, father in the picture can boost girls' mental and physical well-being in many different ways, both in the near and late future. So we know that fathers, there's the old trope. Yeah, sorry, of, sorry to jump in here, Kimberly. When you say we know, is that you mm. as part of the research community or is this an anecdotal? <clears throat> I, yes. As part of the research community, we talk about, if you look at the research around fathers and daughters, you can see that having a present father in the picture is tied to many positive outcomes for girls better romantic relationships. I start with that one because that is one that's a go-to, not just in the research community, but in broader culture. You know, be a good man and your daughter will marry a good man. Obviously, that is a very small sliver of what we want for girls and not all girls will go on to marry or marry men. But we know that men being around and being positive presence in their girls' lives can help shape their future relationships. It's nuanced. There's a lot that goes into what happens when men are interacting with their girls and then preparing them for relationships later on. It has to do with example setting, but a lot of what I talk about in my book is how do you help girls build skills and relationships and how are men uniquely positioned to do that? 
So men are uniquely positioned to help girls in their future romantic relationships. That's that's one big area. More than more than women, more than mothers. I wouldn't necessarily say more than mothers. I would say that they are a very important force in girls' lives. Now, when men sit with their daughters, one of the things we talk about in the book is when, if we want to create cultural change, we want to create change for our girls, that starts with conversations in the home that men are having with their girls. And what that is, is the mechanism that men are having conversations with their girls, helping them rise to the occasion, teaching them about boundary setting, talking to them about their personal values, helping them discover their true selves. Girls become more comfortable interacting with men in positions of power, negotiating power dynamics, negotiating different awkward conversations. If we, you know, a lot of the conversations that fathers will have with their teenage daughters can be kind of awkward and uncomfortable, but if men are willing to have them, then girls will by nature develop a baseline sense of comfort with those types of conversations. And that sense of comfort doesn't just translate to father-daughter relationships, obviously. It translates in girls' interactions outside the home, not just in the social sense, but further on in their careers and in professional settings. Kimberly, we did a show last year, actually, with Emily Oster. Mm -hmm. She, of course, Emily Oster, is a quite a well-known, successful writer, business school professor. She has a book, The Family Firm, a data-driven guide to better decision-making in the early school year. She's kind of trying to turn the family into a, a business, into a corporation. It's quite controversial, but quite influential. Again, I probably am slipping into cultural stereotypes here, but this is what this conversation is about. And you kind of started it by writing a book about how fathers should talk to daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, men aren't very good, usually, in cultural stereotypes at talking. Um, they tend to be better with data. Mm -hmm. Could it be said that you are part of a, if not a conspiracy, certainly a trend to feminize the family, to feminize fathers, to feminize men. The men just don't like talking to daughters, especially about weird things like sex. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So I definitely don't think that I'm part of a conspiracy. What I do think is that from my research, from the research that I did as part of this book, and, and this was, I'll say too, I'm an expert in girlhood. I've been working with adolescent girls for nearly two decades. I have an undergraduate degree that focuses on girls' wellness in the media, and I, I studied that as well in my master's degree. What I found is that through my career, I started interacting with a lot of men who I was partnering with in my businesses, who I was also talking with at schools, and they wanted this information. I think that when we talk about men not being very good at talking, I think certainly many men feel that way, but also in this generation of parents, what I find and what my colleagues have found in our space is that people want this information. They want to know how to talk to their kids about this, about many different topics, social media, sexual health, relationships, love, career. How do we prepare them? All of us, both parents and kids today, are inundated with so much information and we all need help. Navigating. So I think it is an old cultural stereotype that men don't like to talk. I think that certainly it is not always comfortable to talk with girls about different topics. And a lot of it can seem 
like women's work or the mom is better at it. And certainly many couples fall into that pattern. But the truth is, is that talking with kids is tied to many positive outcomes with body positivity, with better boundary setting, fewer regrets in sexual relationships, better performance in schools and later, better performance in academics and later in career. And so the, the, the importance of having these conversations cannot be understated, regardless of people's comfort level with having them. Kimberly, something's going on weird in the family, and I'm not sure whether this is cause and effect. We certainly live in an age of what one guest uh, last year on the show, Matt Feeney, calls overparenting both women, men and women in particularly, I think, white, middle, upper middle class families tend to overparent. We have the phenomenon of the helicopter parent. We also live in an age, as you said, of crisis of mental health, not just, I think, amongst girls, but amongst boys. Mm-hmm. Could one argue that all this parenting obsession, books like yours, experts like you, that it's just, this is the problem. And that my generation, for example, my parents never talked to me about anything, mother or father, and my generation was okay. So is there a problem here with a parental or a cultural or a social obsession with parenting, which has simply gone wrong. We shouldn't we just step back and stop talking and stop obsessing? I don't think so. And I, I think obviously we don't want to obsess. And one of the main messages of talk with her is that oftentimes fathers especially don't realize how much they're doing right just by being present in their daughters' lives. I think that's certainly... No, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I know that's a very male thing to do. But I mean, that goes without saying that parents, whether they're fathers or daughters, fathers or mothers, should be involved in their parents' lives. No one's arguing that they shouldn't. Oh, yes. No, of course not. But I would say that, you know, I think that part of the message of Talk With Her is you're already doing a lot right. And also a lot of what I talk about is kind of how do we curve that anxiety? There's so much anxiety, especially about raising girls, especially from fathers. So this book isn't really a call to overparent. It's a call to kind of tap into that inherent wisdom. There are, and and to just kind of go with the flow with your parenting, to relax a little bit, to realize how much you're already doing right and to realize the impact you can have. The difference in this generation from prior generations is that there are very real issues that this generation is facing that parents should really be talking with their kids about. Social media is a really good example. I was just talking with another father this morning who was talking about how nervous he is to give his daughter a phone because she's he knows inevitably she's going to be on TikTok and other apps where they're going to she's going to be seeing very sexualized content. How do we deal with those? Those are conversations that are really important to have. Parents worrying about their kids watching television? I think that the difference between watching television and what we have now is that there's with technology and the access that kids have to media on their phones is that what once was family activity or at least a public activity of watching TV in a family space is now in the palm of a child's hand, of a teenager's hand. So they can sit there. It might be, you know, they might be sitting watching TV next to you or looking at their phone next to you, but you don't know what they're looking at. And how do we manage, how do we parent for conversations like that? I always say, this is just one example, but teaching safe tech is just like teaching safe sex. You know, kids are going to make 
decisions. They're going to come into conversations. They're going to be in situations that we are not going to be present in as parents, as guiding adults. So how do we prepare our kids for some of the more difficult situations or some of the more difficult interactions in the case of technology for information that they may see or come across or be served up? Those are important conversations to have because we're not always going to have insight into what they're looking at, but we can help guide them in those moments. Your book is Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Competent and Capable Daughters. What have you found that daughters want? Do they want their fathers talking to them, perhaps as much as their mothers? Is there a, a cultural shift here? We know that there's there was one paper that I always point to for parents. We know that teenagers do want information. It was a paper written by authors at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, Dr. Richard Weisborg and the Making Caring Common Project. And we know that young people want to talk to their parents on the topic, for instance, of sexual health, sexual assault, boundary setting, and healthy relationships. That's just one example. We know that they want to talk. We also know that students, that, that young people like having their parents around talking, even if they don't really want to interact. We know that if parents are talking to their kids, it's not necessarily that the benefit is in your kids talking back to you all the time. The benefit is in knowing for the kids that they have a parent there who is willing to talk, who's willing to get into an awkward conversation, who's going to be non-judgmental if a, a sticky situation comes up or if a kid thinks they're going to be in trouble, if they get stuck at a party and people are drinking or they had a drink and now they're in trouble and they need to call a parent. Talking with kids and talking with fathers, talking with their daughters especially is really important. Fathers have a role to play in being that first call, in, in answering the phone if their kid needs to be picked up because they're in a situation they don't feel safe in. And so those conversations are very, very important. We do in the research community and through my research, I have found that. So regardless, I guess to answer your question, regardless of if kids think it's awkward or want to be talked to, it's still very, very important. And we do know from the research that kids do want information from their parents. My experience as a father, especially daughter, daughter now is 21, is these girls, they, the one thing they do all day long is talk. Is there more talking amongst kids? They seem obsessed with um, talking about themselves, their challenges, their problems. This is, I guess, in some ways bound up in the mental health crisis, but there is a cult, a, a, a culture of therapy in our kids today, which doesn't necessarily mean they all have to, to go to therapy. What, what has happened, Kimberly? What, what, how and why has this culture of therapy um, shaped this generation? I, I see it more as a culture of self-expression and a culture of authenticity. We are moving out of an era where we were, and this has to do with the media too, where we had these very polished images, everything was filtered in the beginning of the social media era. That's a, a very concrete example of this type of culture. And in a reaction to that, many people and young people especially have adopted more of an authentic be an authentic way of living and how that translates. And I think sometimes people yeah, mistake so, it. Yeah, I am. I don't know if you've seen any of our other shows. I, I am so 
skeptical of this word authentic because mm -hmm. anytime anyone uses it, I always think of Arianna Huffington. Anytime anyone uses it, they're by definition in my mind inauthentic, whatever that means. But it, it's 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 such a meaningless word, isn't it? Well, I think that like so many words that that describe major cultural trends, it can become overused. But I would say that it is still a good word, a useful word to be used in this context. You know, I think that when we talk about kind of a culture of therapy, I don't necessarily see it as a culture of therapy. I think it it's more of the way that young people see it as more of a culture of transparency. What am I actually thinking about? How am I actually feeling? Let me let people into my existence. One of the real obstacles to adolescent health and well-being is, has been traditionally this sense that they can't talk about what's really wrong or what's really bothering them. Yeah, that's true. But there's two things I would, again, I don't want to, the last thing I want to do is lecture you, but there seems to be two things simultaneously going on with this generation, which you also find in social media. Mm -hmm. A simultaneous obsession with self-expression and also with privacy. These kids mm -hmm. want to talk, talk, talk all the time and reveal everything about themselves, but they're all also obsessively private. Is that fair? I think that the that if people are tracking their children being obsessively private, that is an age-old dynamic between parents and adolescents. You know, they don't want to let parents in. They don't know how to articulate sometimes what they're feeling. They they have different worlds and technology allows them to kind of bifurcate their existence. You know, they can have one existence really with their friends, with their posting. And that's always been the case where kids have had other lives kind of with their friends and adolescents, especially that parents have less insight to. And then also they have this sense that they really want to be private with their parents. Um, so I think that, you know, I don't necessarily see that as this generation only. I think that these generations have more channels with which to express themselves, with which to connect with people, with which to talk about their feelings and talk about their lives and broadcast what they are going through and what they want people to know about them. But the idea that parents still find it being them feeling them being private, that's sort of still an age old dynamic just on a new playing field. Uh, Kimberly, we had a, a great show a couple of weeks ago with a philosopher, Scott Hershervitz. He has a new book out, Nasty, Brutish and Short Adventures in Philosophy with My Kids. He's, mm -hmm. a, I guess, a classically male philosopher, a very successful, distinguished one. He liked the idea of teaching his kids, two young boys, as it happens, philosophy, of introducing them to Socrates and the big questions in philosophy at a very young age, at six or eight. Um, is there a moment when, as a parent, we have to stop thinking about our kids' creativity and begin to focus on perhaps nurture? Uh, Hershevitz is very much, I think, wanting to bring out the creativity in his children. So he, his conversations with his kids, and I'm sure he would do the same if they were daughters, mm -hmm. would be a kind of Socratic dialogue, which I guess in a kind of way you're arguing in talk with her. Mm -hmm. But at what point do we need to stop worrying about their creativity and perhaps focus on their emotional fragility? Is there an age or is it just changes from child to child and situation to situation? If I'm, if I'm understanding your question right, I think that really, and I say this in the book too, 
it's hard to say a different age for different for different themes to jump in on different conversations because every kid is different every family unit is different every community and culture is different so so much of this is personal when it comes to how do we talk with kids about fragility how do we talk with them about their emotions versus how do we you know bring out their creativity i mean i would think those themes are themes that we want to nurture and bring out throughout the lifespan um i say you know if for fathers of daughters and for parents with children there's not one magical day when your children no longer need you or they 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 all of a sudden need something that they didn't need before in fact emotional development spans the lifespan. And so it's just about jumping in with your kid and being with them there all along. I like to talk to my kids about politics because that's what I'm interested in. That's what mm-hmm. I you know, spend my career doing. We had an interesting conversation again with a, another writer, Melinda Wenamoya, on how to raise kids who aren't jerks. She has mm-hmm. a book out called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't As Assholes. And for her, that, of course, reflects kids who aren't racists and sexists. When it Mm -hmm. comes to talk with her and a dad's essential guide to raising healthy, confident, capable daughters, how much of that conversation should be about racism and sexism and the other injustices of early 21st century American life? I have an entire section on global citizenship, and that is where I talk about this topic. Now, as you've seen, as you've noted, there are full books on that topic. And especially in this day and age, it is critical for families to be talking about what their family values are. What do you want your kids to know? And there's so much to bounce off of in our culture. There's so much happening. There's so much discord it's really important to have those conversations on an ongoing basis so that kids understand the difference between what they're seeing in the media and broader culture and the difference between how they're going to live in their lives and what values they are going to internalize and carry forth. And so I encourage all parents to have those conversations on an ongoing basis. The idea is the one of the chapters in my book is called The Talk is Dead. You know, it's not just one talk you have to have talks on an ongoing basis. And certainly there are so many opportunities now to really talk about what it means to be anti-racist, what it means to stand up, what it means to be someone who includes people, asking your kid when they get in the car, who did you include today? What nice thing did you do for somebody today? Helping them think critically again. That's a big theme of my book is it's not necessarily about new information all the time. It's about helping your child think critically about the world that they're living in and what their place is in it and how they can move through it and how you as a father can help guide them in a way that you feel good about. Also with the caveat that they may not seem like they're listening to you, but they can I may just tell you. you, I mean, I know with, I mean, we're talking about daughters rather than sons, but I know if I started doing that with my son, he'd just tell me to piss off. Yes. He would. And that would be completely fine. When I when they tell you to piss off or when they roll their eyes at you, that's actually a metric for success in my book. Wow. I'll think about that next time he rolls his eyes at me. You, you touched on um, gender and uh, gendered roles. I mean, your book is, for better or worse, I mean, it's a gendered book in a perhaps in a post-gendered world, a dad's mm-hmm. essential guide to raising healthy, competent, and capable daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a show yesterday with Sasha Eisenberg, and 
the author of an interesting book, The Engagement, about the triumph of same-sex marriage in America. Yes. When it comes to fathers, there are more and more two male or two female families. How mm-hmm. do you negotiate that? What do you say about that in the book? So I don't talk extensively about family structures in the book. People ask me, why is this a book for fathers of daughters? Why can't this just be a book for, fa- for parents of teenagers? Um, it certainly could be. However, I agree with you. We are in a post-gendered world in many ways. And I was a gender studies major in college. This is a conversation that I'm extremely comfortable with. And I agree on that topic. However, there are many people who identify with fathers and many identify as fathers of daughters. And the father-daughter relationship is very specific in many ways. There's research to support what happens in father-daughter dynamics. Now, is father-daughter is the father-daughter dynamic the only dynamic that's going to boost girls' well-being and make them successful by whatever metric over time? By no means. This is a book, though, for fathers who are raising girls and want the framework for how to make the most positive impact possible. What about a lesbian family where one woman stays at home and the other is the breadwinner? Is this word plastic, father? I mean, could it apply, for example, to the woman who goes out all day working, bringing the money home? So this book isn't just about traditional fathers and daughters. This book is about father figures and anybody who identifies in that role, whatever that might be. And I do touch on that in the book. So much of what for instance, in my personal experience, and if you read the acknowledgments of this book, you really see that, is that it wasn't just about my dad, and it wasn't just about the research I've seen, and it wasn't just about our father-daughter dynamic. It was about all of these people in your family unit, in your broader community who helped bring you up. It's not just the impact that as a father or father figure or mother figure that you have on your child. It's about what you are doing in your community and how your kids' friends are picking up on what you're doing. A lot of mothers have asked me if this book is for them. And absolutely, when I was signing books, you know, I signed a bunch of books, you know, from from one boy mom to another. Here's a book on fathers raising daughters and people can learn from this no matter what their family structure is or how they identify. This is a book about raising kids to thrive in our world. Do you think it can be different? We had Paula Stone Williams on the show, an interesting new book out as a woman. Mm -hmm. She transitioned in an age where transitioning is increasingly popular and controversial. What do you say about that in, in, in talk with her? Not, not just about parents who transition, but children who are, for, for better or worse, and again, this is incredibly controversial, mm-hmm. the idea of transitioning is increasingly, and I use this word carefully, carefully fashionable amongst um, adolescents, teenagers in America today. Mm-hmm. I think, again, I wouldn't describe it as fashionable. I think that what's happening is that... How would you describe it? I think I would say that, and I don't have one word to describe it. I think that what I would say, and what I say in the book, is that one of the many... I get this also, I get this question a lot. I'm a sex ed teacher by trade. I teach love and self-love and sexual health. And so and I teach parents how to talk to their kids about this, which I talk about extensively in the book. Part of the reason that it feels to parents like this is suddenly, you know, 
fashionable or trendy, why people use those words is not because it's never been there. It's because there's a language now that people can use to talk about it. Kids were always wondering about these themes. Adults were wondering about these themes, but we didn't have a language to discuss that. I talk about that in an anecdote in the book. There was a young woman who thought that she was a lesbian until she was 19 and she went to college and accessed the internet for the first time and discovered the trans community and that that was where she identified. Now we have a language. So it is a very controversial topic because I think there's a lot of fear about it. Part of what we do in the book, and I work closely with the Trevor Project, which is one of the leading organizations that supports LGBTQ plus youth. We worked extensively on this chapter together. So for anybody who has questions about this topic, this book is for you. Um, it's really important to support kids where they are. And I give a very thorough roadmap on that. How do we speak this language? It's new to a lot of parents. What is the, what is the language around gender identity that kids are using and how can parents learn to use it and to support their kids? We know that transgender youth need the support of their families and their communities to thrive and to live. And that's very, very important. That's a big part of that. There's a whole chapter on that for that reason to help parents and other adults in communities understand what is going on for LGBTQ plus youth and how to support them. Well, Kimberly Wolf, author of Talk With Her, a lot in the book, a lot of things for parents, perhaps even people who aren't parents. Uh, Talk With Her, a dad's essential guide to raising healthy, competent and capable daughters. Really interesting and important new book, taking a, uh, an interesting angle, I think, on the whole question of per parent-child dynamics. Congratulations, uh, Kimberly, on the book. Anything else you're reading these days? Any other books that you would suggest alongside Talk With Her? I am reading Eve Rodsky's Unicorn Space and also Reshma Sivjani's Pay Up. Those are very interesting books. Those are a lot about home dynamics and how parents can both in an, you know, on, on a family level and a systemic level, change family dynamics so that everybody can thrive. 